Good morning. We're still waiting for a few people, so I'm going to turn my message inside out and start where I planned on not starting, <laughs> just to give them some time. Um, let's turn in the scriptures to 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3. Today's Mother's Day, and uh, we're going to talk about mothers a little bit today, and I don't feel at all bothered by doing that because God made mothers. And our goal is to glorify God through our gratitude for what God has given us and talk a little bit about the sacrifices that mothers make. But before we do that, we're going to read a passage that maybe you'll wonder, well, why is he reading that passage? We'll see if you wonder that as we read it. First uh, Kings chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to talk about two women, and they were mothers, but they happened to be harlots. Now, two women who were harlots came to the king, and that would be Solomon, who God gave extraordinary wisdom to, and they stood before him, verse 17, and one woman said, my Lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was in the house except the two of us together. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she rose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side, and while your maidservant slept, while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom, and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, No, but the dead son is your son, and the living son is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and mine is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king said, divide the child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. And the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and she said, oh, my lord. Give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living, uh, the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So why do I read about that story? What's my point? What's my point? These women were both mothers, weren't they? But they were harlots. Not, an exa not, not exactly a reputable uh, profession. But you know, God loved us even though he hates our sin. And we find here two mothers that weren't perfect. And even though they weren't perfect, God did render a just decision through Solomon. We see a mother's love, willing to sacrifice a child to keep him from dying. But my point here is that they weren't perfect mothers. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know any? Is there such thing as a perfect mother? I don't know if there's a perfect mother that walks the face of the earth that there ever was because we're all sinners. God says we all have sinned. So there's no perfect mother. And you know, um, I want to talk largely to children or to those that have a mother. They could be adults. They have mothers. It's real easy to take pot shops at mom. It's real easy to find flaws where flaws exist. And where don't they exist when we talk about humans? <laughs> I don't think there's anyone around mom more than the children, especially in the early years. But despite the fact that moms aren't perfect, 
God still uses them. And they're marvelous creatures to be appreciated. And we want to think about this morning. Mothers should be appreciated. For one, because they hold the most difficult, the most challenging, the most daunting job there ever existed. Their job is not easy. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, And I appreciate my mother. I do. Um, I think the many things I could say, but I think of my father dying when she was 35 years old, raising three children. And she could have very easily sought after her best interest rather than ours, but she didn't. She took care of us. She never remarried. From 35 on, she sacrificed for her children. And that's just a small Uh, A small thing compared to some things that you may know about your mothers. So with that, we'll go to Genesis. Where did it all start? Where did it all start? It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when we talk about man being made in the image of God, we're talking about man, humans, men and women. So whether you're a man or whether you're a woman, it's speaking of you. And it's interesting, when he first made man, the woman wasn't, there at that time. She came later. She came later. And we want to think about that. Turn to 1 Timothy 2, 8. 1 Timothy 2, 8. God created a male and female. And you know, it's interesting because in creating them, or them male and female, he created them unique. Some things in common, but in many ways unique. Uh, Suited for the task that he had for each one of them. Special strengths and weaknesses. They were to complement one another. But something went wrong. Because God allowed men and women to have a free will and decide certain things. And there was a test place before them. And what they did was they got the role that God had for each one of them out of order and sin entered into the world. We read in 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, Holiness with self-control. So what do we have in these verses? We have an occasion where the order got messed up. (laughs) You see, God created Adam first and Eve second. Adam had a role to play. Eve had a role to play. And those were roles designed by God for the benefit of all humanity. For the benefit of the man, for the benefit of the woman, and for the benefit of the family. And today in society, we see the family unit being torn apart. And what it does to society can't be told. It's so pervasive. Different roles. Happy is the man, happy is the woman who is satisfied with the role that God gives them to play in his divine purpose. Because they've been gifted to do that very thing. And to play another role is to... Uh, transplant something unnatural into the mix. Think about it. Think about it. Uh, Where did Eve come from? Where did the first mother come from? She was taken 
from a rib from Adam. God took a rib of Adam's and formed that rib into the woman. And I like this saying where God didn't take a bone out of the head to be over a man, didn't take a bone out of a foot to be walked on by the man, but took the rib under the arm to be protected, close to the heart to be loved. Equal creatures before God, but with separate roles. And the world would have that switched around to convince you that somehow those roles um, are negative. Somehow those roles are chauvinistic. Somehow those roles are inequality. (laughs) But we're not all equal. We've been given special gifts. We've been suited for special tasks, and we can't we can't change that. <laughs> and we're going to see that uh, in a minute. Special, God specially equipped women for the mission that he's given them. Both physically, emotionally, even mentally. God has made women mothers, not men. <laughs> so let me just give you an example of physical uh, uniqueness that God has built into the women. Okay? How, is, how important, you know... And, and this is fresh on my mind because I have a grandson. And I, and, and I just uh, love watching him develop and to see the special creature that God has made him. But to see the interaction between him and his grandmother, him and his father, him and his mother. And I see a special and unique relationship between a son and his mother. And that's what I have to observe because I only have a grandson and I'm happy to, to only have a grandson at this point. Um, so there's a lot of uh, things to observe. One of them is physical contact, the hugs, the kisses, you know, holding his face, you know, and he smiles, and to see him respond. And, and you, we don't realize how important that is, but God has given the mother the desire to cuddle her child. <laughs> and there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that God designed into it than what we just see on the outward, right? The stark institutional isolation prevalent in orphanages um, of some countries might have mostly melted away decades ago, but many babies and young children all over the world still grew up in environments where touch and emotional engagement are lacking. Many children who have not had ample physical and emotional attention are at higher risk for behavioral, emotional, and social problems as they grow up. These trends point to the lasting effect of early infancy environments and the changes that the brain undergoes during that period. The experience of being touched, new research shows, has direct and crucial effects on the growth of the body as well as the mind. Touch is a means of communication so critical that its absence retards growth in infants according to researchers who are, the first time, uh, who are for the first time determining the neurochemical effects of skin-to-skin t- contact. There's more going on than what we see. The new, the new work focuses on the importance of touch itself, not merely as a part of, say, a parent's loving presence. The findings may help explain the long-noted syndrome in which infants deprived of direct human contact grow slowly and even die. So... Children, infants, they need contact. They need that physical contact. They need that emotional interaction uh, that comes from facial expressions, that come from the love that's transmitted. There's even other physical things that are going on. This is an interesting paragraph. There is some interesting work showing that mothers who have just given birth, their skin area on their chest is a degree or two higher than the rest of their body. So this area is a degree, one degree or two higher than the rest of their body, creating a natural warming area for the newborn. But it doesn't stop there. They have the ability to thermoregulate for the baby. If the baby's temperature drops, the mother's temperature rises in this area. If the baby temperature rises, the mother's drops. There seems to be a connection between the mother and the baby from the birthing process itself. Isn't that marvelous how God works that out? Marvelous. And that's just one of many examples of the need that a newborn has that the mother supplies because she's been uh, suited especially for that task at hand. And a mother doesn't have to be perfect to be suited. (laughs) Mothers are wonderful. Mothers are wonderful. And to see that interaction, it's like, wow, it's something I couldn't do. God hasn't equipped me for that. He's equipped me for other things. Okay? Okay. 
Um, <coughs> mothers are not just raising children for themselves. You know, you might ask yourself, well, why do women want children so bad? Well, there's a maternal instinct that God places them in, but uh, that places that God places in them. But it's not just for self-satisfaction, because we're going to find out it's more to do with self-sacrifice in practicality. But um, women are raising children not necessarily for themselves, but for society, for the family, for society. It even goes beyond that. If you know the Lord, you're really raising them for the Lord, and that's what we want to concentrate on. Exodus, and a, and a famous verse comes from this, uh, this passage, but I want to put it in its context. So um, let's go to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. In verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So Pharaoh was um, wanting to exterminate the Jews. And so every... Baby that was born, it was male, is to be killed by putting it in the Nile. Okay. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, what mother doesn't think her child's beautiful? <laughs> she hid him for three months. Well, what do you think was going on during that three months? I mean, I don't think she was just sitting idle. I think she was thinking, wow. What can I do? There's got to be a way, you know? Because she loved her son like a mo- only a mother could. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered, covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Now, do you think she just randomly did that? I'll just pick some reeds, hide them there? I don't think so. I think during that three months she was thinking, and I think word got to her that Pharaoh's daughter usually bathes in that set of reeds there. I think there was a plan in that mother's heart of hers. That's my conjecture, but I, I think what I think. And his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister, his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you that the Hebrew, um, from, the, from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew. And she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I, uh, and said, because I drew him out of the water. So what a marvelous story how God worked it out for this mother that so loved her son. She was able to raise him under the authority of Pharaoh's daughter. So let's think about this verse because this, I think, speaks to the heart of every mother. Take this child away and nurse him for me. You see, really, that's God's charge to every mother. Take this child, nurse him for me. And when I say nursing, it's speaking of raise this child for me. And, and I think it's important for mothers to remember, and fathers, that our children, they don't belong to us. They don't belong to us. They belong to God. God is the one that opens the womb. God is the one that does the miracle of a birth. And God is the one whose child that really is. He gave them a soul and a spirit and he longs for a personal relationship with that child. And he entrusts, most importantly, the mother to raise that child for him during the most informative, informidable, impressionable years of that child's life, the early years. And that's a very great responsibility. Take this child and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. You see, there's reward. There's reward in heaven for the mother that raises her children for God. Isn't that encouraging? 
The most difficult job in the world is not rewarded, not recompensed by man, but by God himself. And it's going to be a reward that's not temp temporary or transitory, but is eternal. Is eternal. I will give you your wages. Now, there's a part in this verse that I think describes the most difficult part of a mother's life. And there are some here in this room that have gone through that and are going through that. And it needs to be brought up. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. That was Moses. So God gave that mother the privilege of raising that child for him. But the day would come where she would have to give him up and let him go. Because without giving him up and letting him go, he could not do the work that God had planned for him to do. And it was a great work. One of the most difficult things for a mother, and I could see it, we call it the empty nest syndrome, it's actually letting go. Now, now think of how difficult that is. A mother, I don't know what age this will be at, 18, 24, 22. A mother who's been given the charge to raise this child, to protect this child, to nurture this child. Every day, 24, 7, for the last 18, 20, 22 years. Do you think it becomes habit forming? Oh, you bet it does. When that child goes out the house, where are you going and who are you going with? Right? I can see it now, uh, even with my wife, Sandra. When we have Buster over, you know, we're going to do something. Make sure this. Watch out for that. Make sure. Okay, I got this, you know. <laughs> but it's a habit that she has that's been forged over years and years and years of practice. And I look at my children. They're safe because of her. She had that primary responsibility. That doesn't mean I don't share in it. But that's ingrained, it's, it's instinct, it's mother, it's the maternal instinct that God's given her to watch over, protect. And she's not going to entrust that child with anyone, just anyone. And one of the greatest things I take pride in, in a good way, is that my daughter and my son-in-law trust their precious one into my care. And I'm going to make sure while he's in my care, all eyes are on him. And, and, and I got my wife to make sure that happens. <laughs> Because she's got many years of practice, many more than I have. You know? So it's quite a charge honed and practiced through the years when it comes time to let go. Do you think that's an easy thing? It's not. It's an emotional uh, tailspin. Not only that, but there's a reactionary habit that even though my mind tells me, okay, now that's not my responsibility anymore, okay, trust God, there's still, what are you doing, you know? Don't do that. That's not safe. You're wearing your seatbelt, you know. It's natural. It's a habit that's hard to break. And so sometimes the children might get a little bit frustrated or irritated, but just realize that this, they've been obeying God for the last 18, 20 years. It's not easy. It's not. So we need to cut mom some slack and appreciate the fact that she's been faithful for all these years, you know. Um, letting go is not easy. And when I say letting go, I'm not talking about letting go, kicking out. I'm, there's going to be many more precious times. But the relationship changes. Our children become adults. And you know what? I, <laughs> I appreciate that time of life more because now I can relate to my children as friends. I don't have to watch over and make sure they're obeying, they're doing this, doing that. I've already turned them over to God. <laughs> it's easy for dad to do that. <laughs> Hard for mom. But it still needs to be done because without that, how can they serve God? Because God wants them to have a personal relationship with himself, and he's made contingency for that. He sent his son to die on the cross to take their sins in his body. And I don't care how innocent children look. Sooner or later, you're going to see that sinful nature come out. They need salvation just as much as I do. But once a life's turned over for God, they have to learn that life and relationship with God doesn't go through mom and it doesn't go through dad. It's one-on-one -on -one and personal. And so mom and dad have to learn to let that happen. And until that happens, there's not going to be great things done for God in that child's life, which God designed him to do, to have. And so part of mom and dad's responsibility and mother's responsibility is to recognize 
just how and when that takes place. And to trust God, no matter how difficult it is, He provides the strength to help you through that phase. Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages. God's a rewarder of those that seek to please Him. We are, think about it, raising men and women for God. Every great man, every great woman in all of history has had a mother's influence in their life. Realize how important that is. There's no higher calling. There's no greater challenge, no harder job than being a mother. I mean, dad's job in many respects is to support the family and allow her the freedom to do just what God called her to do. And of course, the man's got the responsibility to to nurture, provide the environment to let that happen as the head of the family. And sometimes uh, jobs overlap. You know, many people don't believe it, but there was a time in my life that I changed a diaper or two. I don't have to now. (laughs) But at that time in my life, uh, things overlapped. I love watching my grandson. And if no, no, my, my wife's not around, I'll change the diaper. I don't care. And there are some times where women work and do some of the provision for the household. But by and large, God has gifted men for the role they play and women for the role they play. We need to recognize that and appreciate that, even though there's some overlap. Okay, what was said about Moses? How good a job did mom do? It says Moses... It says, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I think she did a pretty good job. She prepared him for that. She gave him that longing. It says, now Moses was very humble more than all men who were, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Humble, humility. So, you know, one thing I'm learning through Buster, I'm reminded of is that how much children pick up. They pick up so much. And my wife teaches Hunter new things, you know, like the other day. He likes picking strawberries. So, you know, I want to go with strawberries. You know, say yes. <laughs> that's his yes. <laughs> so we go out and he looks look for the red ones. So he gets the red ones to get his hands. You know what he likes to do? Because they're ripe, you know. <laughs> Squish it, you know. It's okay. Put it in the bowl. Puts it in the bowl. We go wash them. But the last thing I see, you want to go... You want to go get strawberries? Raise your hands if you want to do this. He puts his hands right up. So to see him respond like that, I was taking my, you want to go do this? And, and he grabbed my attention. He goes, no. He didn't say no. He goes, oh, like that. He shook his head. So he's learning to communicate. You know? It's wonderful to see that. So children are observing you. I mean, the infants. They're, and the, the, the person that's most in their focus is mom. Mom. And they need that interaction. It gives them security, helps them to realize who they are as well. I was reading up on it. Um, so what are the children, as they grow up, what do they see in mom and dad? You know? If you're raising men and women for God, then certainly they need to hear God's word. You know, as much as I love my grandson, he's going to have to learn that he's a sinner and he needs a savior. And yet God loves him so much that he died. He came to earth and died. The Lord Jesus Christ died for him. I want him to know the Lord Jesus Christ. His father wants him to know the Lord Jesus Christ. His mother wants him to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so unless we teach them God's word and teach them how to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to not have the ability to choose because they they won't know what to choose and what to believe. So they need to hear the word. They need to hear the word. My son-in-law had a talk with me. He said, he said Eric, he says, you know what, I, I really want, want this to happen. When, when you're doing new things with Buster, bring God into the conversation. You know, God made this. You know? I thought, I'd love to do that. Thanks for the reminder. You know? um, that's mom and dad's primary responsibility is that their child is raised for God. So there are things they learn that you don't realize, you know. Thank you. I'll speak up. There are things that they learn that you don't realize that they pick up on. You know, If you have a habit of reading the scriptures in the morning and praying, they're going to see that. You know? 
Hunter knows that before we eat, we pray and we give thanks to the Lord. He sees it. He gets to participate in it. And he's learning. You know? Sees mom and dad reading the scriptures, praying together. He's going to see that. But you know, if there's excuses why not, he's going to learn that too. If there are other priorities in your life, they're going to pick up on that. And I don't care what you say, they're watching. They're going to say, they say this, they do that. This is what they really think. They put that together. It's amazing how intelligent they are. They're, uh, they're powers of observation, and they're watching. And so we have to not only teach them how to know God, but we have to teach them we love God. How are they going to ever learn to love God if they don't see someone loving God and what it means in a practical way? You know, and here's a difficult one. It says, it says, if you love your child, you'll discipline your child. If you spare the rod, you really hate your child. Now, that's what God says. The world's going to tell you something completely different. And it's getting where you probably have to hide it these days. <laughs> but that's what God says. So who do you believe? What the world says or what God says? Do you love your child? Do they see? I can remember coming back from Brazil. A little girl was throwing a temper tantrum in the uh, grocery store. And Nathan, I think it was Nathan, his, his jaw was... And I'm going, Nate, what does that girl need? A spanking. He knew. A spanking. And then I said, Mommy and Daddy ever spank you? Yeah. Why do we spank you? Because you love me. He knows it. You know? He knows it. Now, it's not done in anger, but it needs to be done to train a, a child in the way of righteousness, to know what's right and what's wrong, to keep them safe. But more than anything else, we have to show them we really love God. And if we really love God, he's a priority in our lives. You know? We go to meeting every Sunday that we possibly can. Why? Because we love being here. We love God. We love talking about God. We love hearing about God. You think they're not going to pick that up, pick up on that? If I go because I have to go, do you think they're not going to pick up on that? All of our experience, our relationship with God teaches them. And they're watching. They're watching. What are we teaching them? What are we teaching them? Okay, so we talked about the most difficult time in a mother's life, perhaps, is when she has to let go or learn to let go. That's not easy, right? So what happens afterwards? <laughs> you know, God, God made me and equipped me to raise children. Now my time for raising children is over. What do I do now? That's a tough one. Until you look in the scriptures, and the scriptures give you instruction. It says in Titus... Two, three through five, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to what's wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. So, you know, here's a mother. She's got 18, 20, 22 years of hands-on personal experience seeking to obey God and raising their children for God. Okay, that particular focused job doesn't require the focus so much because it's time to let go and let God. What can she do? Well, there's other people that are raising children. There's raising the grandchildren. <laughs> There's helping mom raise the grandchildren. There's being, being there, you know. Um, and and I, I, I want to explain this. I want to sort of want to explain how I feel. And I, I think I've made Robert and Heidi understand this. I consider it a privilege to be able to spend time with my grandson. And I've been given a great blessing that they live close, that I get to see them often do, through the week. But there's nothing I respect more than their responsibility, authority, and wishes as parents. I don't ever want to be seen as interfering. I don't ever want to be seen as going against their wishes. That's not my job. If I can be of a help to them, it's going to be according to their wishes. And, and I take great joy in watching him, so I'm not going to give that up by blowing it like that. But I can be a help. And, and my wife, same thing. While she's watching him, she's teaching things. You know? And um, Sanda's reminding Heidi of times when Heidi was young, of the things that Heidi learned and when she learned them. And so that's all part and partial of teaching the young women to love their children, to raise them for God. 
And so that's something, and I know many women are involved in that um, because they're so equipped. You can't just stop. You can't just stop doing things. God's given you the tools, the experience. You, you know, you, you don't retire. You just change focus. You help other people that are going through the challenge, that are learning the ropes. And so there's an important ministry that continues on, and that should be the healthy ministry within the local assembly of the older ladies sharing these things with the younger ladies, helping out. And to me, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And it should be an encouragement to the young ladies. In Titus, where it talked about loving their children, it's a Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I think I can pronounce this one, philotechnos. That wasn't too hard. It refers to mothers loving their children. It's a special kind of, quote, mother love that flows out of this word. It's that of caring for children, nurturing them, affectionately embracing them, meeting their needs, and tenderly befriending each one as a unique gift from the hand of God. And I see that when I look at my daughter when she holds Hunter. You know, that's precious. It's a gift from God. It says that in Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. Sometimes it's a challenge seeing it that way, but they are. It says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart. Impressionable years. You want to, you want to make them impressioned, impressionable for the Lord. And, then, and I was reminded of this yesterday. We had Hunter out in the backyard and I was swinging him, and he was looking up at this birdcage we had up on the top of a shelf in the backyard, one of them plastic Tupperware show cabinets, and he's looking, and it had all one of the doodads inside of it that you'd put in a birdcage, but no bird. We had the bird in the other cage, and so he knows that's Tweety. So he's looking up there. I said, you want me to get the birdcage down? He goes, he looks at me. I go, say yes. He goes, like that. So that means yes. So I pull it down, and we're looking at it, and I'm shaking the cage, and the plastic bird's on a stick, and he's, he's on a spring, so he's moving around, and I, I notice he's looking at that bird like it's real, right? So I stick my hand in the cage, and I tap the bird on the head, and he's moving around. I go, tweet, 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 tweet. And he's all interested. And then all of a sudden, oh, he bit me. And then Hunter, Hunter goes like this. He's like that. And I thought, I thought, oh, that was interesting. Heidi, look at this. And I do it again. I put it in there. I go, ah, he bit me. And, and he goes, oh, and he started crying. I'm going, oh, man. <laughs> Leave it to Grandpa to blow it like that. And then I realized, you know, he, they're so, so sensitive, you know. He doesn't like when someone else gets hurt. Isn't that precious? He doesn't like when someone else gets hurt to the, fact, to the point it affects him emotionally, and that made me feel bad. I don't want to put him through that again. I'll be careful. I'll be careful. But look at how far the world takes a person from that impressionable stage in their life where they don't want anybody to get hurt. They want everybody happy. To the, what was the fight last week with that Mayflower guy and that Pachoco or whatever their names were, you know? <laughs> you know, we take pleasure in violence. How can you go from this to this, right? Well, this is sensitive, and this is the way God made that sensitive soul. And it's up to the mother and the father supporting that to make sure that that individual grows to be sensitive to God. And to not like what God doesn't like. And to like what God likes. That's the charge. That's the charge. And so I learned something. Um, just reminded of that precious, sensitive soul that doesn't take pleasure in the pain of something else. But actually, it hurts him. Hey, he didn't like that. You know? And then, of course, I tried to make it right. But it was hard. It was hard. So... <coughs> How important is a mother to a child? You know, it's interesting when the Lord was on the cross. We read about it in John 19. Therefore the soldiers did things, did these things. But there were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw, therefore, his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which was John, he said to his mother, Behold, your son, woman, behold your son. Then he said to his disciple, behold your mother. So he was, after all that suffering, torture, hanging on the cross, he looked down and saw his mother, and his concern was her care in the future. Behold your mother. Behold your son. And he says, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. So he was caring for his mother. So... 
Should we appreciate mothers? Yes, we should. They're God's gift to us, both to children and to husbands. My wife is the mother of my children. I've seen all the sacrifices that have been made. Not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them. Enough to respect her for that. But think of a child ungrateful to their mother. That's very distasteful. It says in Proverbs 15, 20, it says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 23, 22, Listen to your father who begat you. And do not despise your mother when she is old. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick, uh, will pick it out, and the young eagles will eat it out. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. God gives us a very serious charge against despising a mother. And even, I think it's the only commandment, you know, with a promise, longevity of life. Children should be grateful to their mothers. They're not perfect. They don't have to be. They love their children. We saw an example of that with 24-year-old Ashley Bridges. Remember, she was the lady that appeared in the news. She's from California. She gave up her life to save the life of her daughter. She found that she was pregnant. She needed chemotherapy because she had cancer. But to, to have chemotherapy, she had to give up her, her, her eight-week-old child. And she said, nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. California mother made the ultimate sacrifice for her baby when she refused life-saving treatment for cancer. You often hear mothers say they want to stop time when they have a new baby, but for 24-year-old Ashley Bridges, time is running out. When Bridges was 10, oh, 10 weeks pregnant with now two-month-old Paisley, so she's had her, she was diagnosed with bone cancer. Her doctor recommended she start chemotherapy immediately but would have to terminate her pregnancy. There's no way I could kill a healthy baby because I'm sick, she said. At eight months pregnant, the young woman, who also has a son from a previous relationship, learned that delaying chemo had allowed the cancer to spread. And that's basically when they told me that it was terminal. She was told she needed to deliver Paisley immediately so she could start treatment. Even with multiple rounds of chemotherapy, she was given less than a year to live. I felt like I tried so hard to keep Paisley safe and, you know, do the minimum to keep her healthy. And the thought that I'm going to see her, that I'm not going to see her grow up is really hard. The reality of the situation is lost on her six-year-old son, Brandon. His exact words were, if you pass away, I'm going to come with you. Yeah. Friends and family take turns helping Bridges care for Paisley. Bridges herself has no regrets and insists she still believes everything happens for a reason. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here, and she is. There's a mother's love. Sacrifice her own love, her own life for her child, yet born. So, I'd like to close with reading these two, um, these two pieces of paper, and they're written by women, and for the women here, you probably relate very well to these. For the men, just a little insight into what uh, mothers go through. Sacrifices mom make. Mom, would you like to take care of decorating class uh, with... Mom, would you like to take a, deck, a cake decorating class with me? When my daughter Brittany asked this question, I happened to be standing in the kitchen amid a pile of dirty pots and pans. What I really wanted to do at that moment was get out of that kitchen and sink into my sofa. I was tired, too tired to think about giving up my next four Saturday mornings learning how to make rose petals out of buttercream frosting. But then I looked at her face. It was hopeful, full of invitation. So I dug into the details. This class would be an investment of time. And it would require that we purchase a list of supplies. In addition to my full-time job, my husband and I were small group leaders at our church. Glancing at the sports and school schedules for both, both of our children, I gulped. This was already a packed month. But such is the life of a mom. We are so much more than bottle washers or bottom wipers. We wear a dizzying array of hats, master chef, schedule organizer, cheerleader, comforter, mentor, detective. Our time is not just spent, it's guzzled up by demands of our family. 
we're often left breathless and frazzled until we remember who we really are. We're world changers. Every day we change the course of the future through our encouragement and admonishments, through these life-giving moments when we pour into our children. We get to shape their character and teach them about God who made them and loves them. We teach them about honesty and the power of commitment. We teach them how to share, how to love. We form the faces of tomorrow through our mom life today. Each moment counts for a mom. And there aren't any throwaway days. My daughter and I joined that class. It meant more stress, less margin, less money at the end of the month. But it also meant precious moments spent with my girl as we laughed over our pitiful attempts at conquering fondant and gum paste. As we toiled together over mastering the exact lilt of our buttercream rose petals, it became Brittany and me against the world. We were no longer on opposite teams, one generation pitted against the other, but partners collaborating to create a beautiful masterpiece. We laughed and made a mess, but it was our mess, mother and daughter together. Those mornings together inspired dialogue I don't think we would have, had, we would have ventured into any other way. They turned into opportunities to talk about concerns of a 14-year-old who was asking big questions about life. The conversations were priceless, and I learned that these moments don't come along every day. When they do, I want to be ready. Our relationship took a turn during that shared experience as we learned to appreciate each other in a brand new way. The time, the money, and effort I invested in that class now seems so small compared to what I've received in return. A deepened relationship with my beautiful daughter. This is our calling as mothers. We give and invest, spending time and resources. We give to our children when it would have felt good to give to ourselves. We do so so that our kids don't have to. Oh, excuse me, that wasn't said right. We do without so that our kids don't have to. We need not wonder if it's worth it to find the energy to read another, yet another bedtime story. It is. When we question the value of going the extra mile for our kids, we can rest in the power of the message that we are sending as we model God's command to love someone else more than we love ourselves. The fruit of our labors may not always be apparent, but let's commit with the Apostle Paul to not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. With every hug, every gentle pat, every encouraging word, we are making a difference that no one else can. Without fanfare or thanks, we are shaping the minds and hearts of future leaders, inventors, dreamers, and decision makers. We truly are world changers. Thank you, Mother. One more. Now, this is a little more contemporary way she, this lady communicates, so I'll do my best. I was told from birth about sacrifices a mother makes to be a mom. Blah, blah, blah. Back to me, 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 me. Then I remember when I became a young woman, I was told that I wouldn't really understand this concept of motherly sacrifice until I became a mom myself. Blah, blah, blah. Back to me, 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 me. Then I became a mom. I was sure I finally understood what all the sacrifice talk was about with a little less blah and a little less me. I began late night feedings, diaper changing, sleep deprivation, and buying baby food instead of cute shoes. Not to mention the sacrifice of that fabulous waistline that would never ever return. My appreciation for other moms, for my mom, for my mother-in-law grew. Yes, motherhood was going to be a lifetime of sacrifice at the very least, but I could swing it. I'd been prepared since birth. As my, as my children grew into walking, talking, opinionated, and thankfully sleeping individuals, I reclaimed a little sleep, but now found myself giving up not only physical time, but mental time. The hours I spent checking off lists in my head of the things they needed or worrying about what more I could do to help them have optimal life experiences were and still are incalculable. Time must really Time must be really what sacrificial, sacrifice fuzz was all about. When the teenage years hit, the sacrifice factor quadrupled instead of easing up once I thought, as I thought. The physical demands turned from late-night feedings to late-night waiting, from wiping buns to wiping tears, from building blocks to tearing down walls. My mental output of worry and checklist went into hyperdrive. I still don't know what a, what a closet of cute shoes look like, nor do I have a fabulous weight line back. 
Compound all of this with the fact that my reputation went out the door as well. Any theory that our home contained all the loveliness and normalcy was shot to you know where every time my teens opened their mouth. Yes, I now sacrificed my pride. And at this point, I'm thinking, seriously? I've got nothing less to sacrifice. I'm out. I've given it all for the kids. Kaput. Why didn't anyone warn me about this? Then came the startling realization. One day I was talking to a friend about how our children adored their dads. We're so proud. We love that they love their dads. I started noting, though, how many times, or how, I started noting, though, in how many, many instances, my moms don't generally get labeled the favorite parent. Why is that? Have I not just listed the sacrifice made by them? And then it hit me. This is a sacrifice moms make, too. Perhaps one of the biggest ones, they make the sacrifice of not getting the glory. Not being the favorite all time, or not being the favorite all the time, not being the fun parent. As the more hands-on parent, their faults are scrutinized, and falling short is more pronounced. They often have to carry out punishments and be the heavy in discipline, generally speaking. So, of course, they take a little more of a hit. With so many balls in the air, it's easy to see which ones they drop. So there it is. There it was, echoing in my ears. I realized that this sacrifice might be the most painful one for me to swallow, the glory. After giving all I have, they might still feel I fell, I fell short. They probably will. But to this I say, take my body, take my heart, take my time, take my money, take my shoes, take my mind, take my reputation, take my pride. Yes, and even take away the praise. That's okay. I wouldn't trade being a mom for anything in the world. The love God grants a mother for her babies cannot be balanced on a scale against anything this world has to offer. No judgment is too harsh. No sacrifice too heavy. The love will always outweigh everything else. If I sacrifice all that I had for the precious children the Lord has blessed me with, I would still owe a debt. It can never be balanced because the sacrifice, because the sacrifice is what cultivates the love. Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I shall give you your wages, God says. Let's thank God for mothers. Lord, we do thank you so much for mothers. Especially, Lord, we thank you for godly mothers that know you, that live in the fear of God, that long to raise their children to be great men and women of God. Thank you for all the sacrifices they've made. Thank you for the love you have placed in their heart toward their children. Pray as a father, as a husband, for all the men here that we might be supporters of all that love. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.